So, um, welcome to DEFEN, episode number 26. So, uh, we have been uh, a bit slow in producing the episodes. Uh, these days we've been busy, I changed my jobs, and Ray is also uh, busy with his new job. But finally, we got uh, the speaker, or the host, that we are, or the guest that we were waiting for for a long time. Um, we have Devin Nolan. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Hi David. Hello, David. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Welcome to DEFEN. Yeah, really good. Thanks for having and me. Thanks a lot for joining us because we uh, we did uh, speak with you at uh, Euroclosure in Bratislava. Uh, that was just quick 15-minute chat. Um, I, I don't think you were speaking at that conference at that time, right? No, I, d- I, did, I, did, I did speak at Bratislava. I did. Oh, maybe I, I see you in so many places. And yeah. I'm like, hmm, I'm getting confused. Okay. So, uh, first of all, uh, the most important question, do you use Emacs? I do use Emacs. <laughs> I use I, um, I don't use it that much for closure programming, but um, I use IntelliJ and Cursive now. But I still use Emacs for org mode. And then, um, of course, a lot of people in the um, sort of closure like community use Emacs, and so I often will, if I have some tooling thing that I think is cool, I'll you know figure out how to do it in Emacs. You know, so a lot of the things that I do work in either Emacs or Cursive, uh, and intentionally so. Well, you bridge the gap between me and VJ then, because he's an Emacs guy and I'm a Cursive guy. So you know, <laughs> if you can be the guys, if you can be on one side of a tooling or another side, we're, we're going to talk about <laughs> being on one side or another side um, to do with uh, politics as well, won't we? I mean, you know, I guess if any, if an IDE can be politics, then anything can be. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I was going to open it up a, li- a little bit. Was talking about these people uh, in front of the Senate this week, who were uh, you know defending themselves um, against Al Franken, <laughs> which is a bizarre concept in many ways. You know that Facebook lawyers and Google lawyers and Twitter lawyers need to defend themselves against an ex comedian, um, but they were uh, essentially admitting that. That their tech was used to to essentially you know send out foul messages to the electorate in America last November, um, and that they were really going to be it was very difficult for them to detect these foreign actors. Although you know paying in rubles and coming from Russia and doing political adverts apparently wasn't a good enough signal for them. Um, so the question really was you know is is tech political? I mean you know I think it is. I think you think it is. Maybe VJ thinks it is. I don't know. Maybe we could just start with that one. I mean, um, I just don't see how it could not be. I mean, tech influences everybody's lives, and it's only having a greater and greater influence. Mm. Um, I definitely think that um, uh, the situation with Facebook, Twitter, and uh, these other social networks has shown that people get information from very different places than traditional media now enough so that you can have an impact um, and those channels are not nearly as regulated as um, traditional media. I actually come from a radio television film background and so when I went to school for that of course you know we talk a lot about the history and hmm. why regulations were put into place and all this stuff and certainly there's always a there's always a there's always somebody looking to make a buck right some of the regulations if somebody wants to make a buck but then, but then I think that there is a significant amount of regulation, regulation that is also about, um, that is in the public interest. And I don't think we have that, 
um, things have changed so quickly with social media. Um, I mean, I don't know what the answer is, but I definitely think that uh, we've, we've seen at least one effect from having a very different way for people to get information that isn't uh, nearly, as re- uh, nearly as regulated as other, other channels in the past. Yeah. I saw this, um, there's a book by um, Kathy O'Neill um, called Weapons of Math Destruction which is uh, a beautiful title, if nothing else, you know. And uh, her, uh, her, uh, her argument is that, that actually the, the problem with social media and in general and, and, and these ML environments in general is that the, the algorithms themselves are not even uh, explicable by the people that write them. So one of the problems that we have is that uh, is that we need to be able to be transparent about the production of these, of these algorithms, so that if if there are any regulations, if there are any discrepancies, if there are any problems, if there if if these algorithms surface some bias, and we've seen that, you know, there's a, there's another lady called uh, Joy Bulawamini um, who does research at MIT about bias in algorithms, um, and you know she's got a a, a group called Agmith. I think it's called the Ag- Algorithmic Justice League. Uh, that is, you know, about saying how do we uh, how do we get these algorithms to be made more transparent? And I think that, like most regulations, I think transparency is often a key to these things. I mean, that's true. Um, I definitely think. Um, I mean, technology definitely has this problem, which you know, um, people. I mean, technology is only. Technology is neutral only in the abstract. The problem mm. is that technology by itself is inert. Um, people, it's people's use of technology um, that often interest introduces the problems. And you design an algorithm, and you know, a, a lot of times bad stuff happens not because anybody's malicious, it's just because they have a certain viewpoint about the world, and that gets encoded into an algorithm, and they don't really mean to mess everybody up. But when you deploy that to 10 million customers, your, your decisions have a pretty big impact. Um, so well, yeah, the classic I, one was Microsoft, wasn't it? Recently, you put this bot out there um, and that bot suddenly started spouting racist uh, fascist, well, started cl- shouting sort of tweeting Nazi uh, stuff within 24 hours. Um, you know, it was, it was the population went onto it and started training it basically to, to repeat um, Nazi sentiments. Um, so it was it was very easy to to show that this that these algorithms were uh, you know dumb basically. Well, and and I would say it's not so much the algorithms are are dumb. It's that uh, when people decide to put something out like that, you would you would have thought that okay, let's let's talk to people who have um, some background into the humanities or ethics or. Who could yeah. like? Who could have easily told you <laughs> that like, or even somebody, or even somebody who had like a a, a passing background in game theory, they could have predicted yeah. what was going to happen. Yeah. You um, can't expect that from a multi-billion-dollar company like Microsoft, yeah. though, David. I mean, come on, be yeah. fair. You know. Um, but uh, but I think that's often I think that's often the issue. You you often um, people don't think of you know. I definitely think in the future. I think software engineers will have to consider themselves to also be, you know, in some sense, citizens of whatever state they belong to and that the decisions matter. And they're really not, you're really not in a vacuum. I mean, you know, it's like 
before we were doing tech, if you were an engineer and you know, you have, you have to make decisions. Yeah, you have to feed your family and whatever, uh, but maybe maybe your job is to make bombs and you have to decide. Is that is that the living, is that how you want to make your money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and, building gas ovens was very popular at one point, but you yeah, know, it so, seems to have well, gone out of business now. And, I, <laughs> and all my point in there is that like, you know, everybody has their own calculus for this, but it's it's just, I think, as software engineers, we have to begin to realize that the question is much more like, um, is the thing that I'm doing going to have a negative effect on reality? Yeah, yeah, that's an awesome point, actually. Yeah, I, I think I saw a talk by um, by what's he called uh, the, the the clean coding guy, Bob. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I can't remember his second name now. Anyway, clean code, Uncle Bob. Bob. Uncle Bob. It's his first name, yeah. actually. <laughs> Yeah, Uncle Bob. His first name is Uncle. His second name is Bob. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, because he he, I, I saw him doing a talk about like the software code of ethics thing. Uh, I, I think some of his things were a bit off, but but I think in general, I think you, you know, it's in the air, isn't it? I think you're right, David. It's in the air to to have some kind of you know thought process about whether you're whether or not you're having a negative impact, and then likewise, what are you going to do about it? What are, what are the choices that you can make? Okay, so on that bombshell, let's get back to closure. <laughs> because well, this is uh, this, this we're is all making choices all the time, buddy. <laughs> indeed, indeed. But I mean, this all uh, because I see this this one a bit more questions of morality and and technology, as David was pointing out, is just a tool. So you don't know what you want to do with it, and whatever you do with it is is reflecting your own morality, your own ethics, and all that sort of stuff. So. Um, by the well, way, somebody, if you're an employee of a company, though, then where yeah. do you stand in that in that situation? You know, you're 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 working for people, you're working with people. How do you yeah, but judge? The, the, that's that's the that's the tricky part. But I don't want to go into that discussion too much because it it might end up in whole discussion about uh, <laughs> philosophical choices and all that stuff. And um, I think a philosophical podcast is probably not in my zone. Just like I'm not a right wing intellectual, as somebody was pointing out on. <laughs> On Twitter, I told him, dude, I'm not even an intellectual. I what the fuck is right wing? I don't even know what that is. So, um, I mean, well, I'm glad we cleared that up at least. I mean, I think that that is vital. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and, and then they they accused me of uh, not, not using Emacs, and then I told him I had to send a screenshot of my, you know, right now on my desktop, what is there, which is basically <laughs> Emacs. So that cleared everything up. So it okay. doesn't matter That's because it, oh, he uses Emacs, so he must be good. So at least for yeah. the internet. But anyway, so uh, David, um, first, so I think we should on, on that philosophical note. So, who is David? So yeah, this is yeah. where we need to come back to deeper questions. How so, did you make uh, your you, choices, David? Yeah. <laughs> how did you come to closure? How did you? Because I know you were working at NYT at some point. Um, yeah, but that was so. Closure was I was it was um, I was working for a startup, and I the startup thing ended, and I had I decided to take like a three month sabbatical. Um, this was like 2008. At that point, I was just like sort of like an independent consultant doing, you know, whatever software things came to me. Mm -hmm. And I was like uh, interested in, in Lisp because I'd done Lisp um, for fun. Like in 2003, I was doing, I did structure interpretation computer programs, you know, SICP. And that seemed pretty cool, but nobody seemed to be using Lisp. Um, and then around 2008, I was on Hacker News and you know, there was all this excitement about uh, Common Lisp, and Paul Graham had this thing called Arc, and I played around with those, but they didn't do quite what I wanted. I couldn't really see myself doing actual work with that stuff. And then I found a website 
with that had this um, thing called Closure, and I I done quite a bit of Java and JVM stuff, and I was like, let me see how long it takes me to get this up and running because I had messed around with uh, common lists like SPCL, and yeah. back in two thousand eight, getting SPCL running was like a massive pain in the butt. And then I, I downloaded this jar and in like, you know, five seconds I had a REPL. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to use this. That, that, that was it. It was just, I was just looking for a list that, um, that seemed like I could actually maybe use it for something. Like for okay. work. That's how I encountered it. Um, Closure was just a hobby for me. I mean, I worked on some open source stuff, which people are probably aware of like Core Match, Core Logic, and all this other stuff. Yeah. And while I was at the New York Times, Closure Script got released, and I started contributing to that. And then I mm -hmm. left the New York Times in 2014. I got hired by Cognitech uh, to work on various things. I spent some time on Datomic. And then, of course, I was also hired to, you know, basically uh, spend a significant amount of time developing Closure Script itself. Yeah. So, so Lisp brought you to Closure, and what made you stay? So, what are the what are the features that that not 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 just the features, but what is it with the about the language that that made you stay and then take more and more uh, effort and your of your and and your time to spend on Closure Script? Uh, I mean, I was already pretty because of you know a book like Sick Piece sort of like gets you thinking functionally. Um, also, the nice thing about Sick P is that it sort of shows you that languages are something that people built. They're not really like, you know, programming languages aren't really, they're not really mathematical constructions. I mean, this is something sort of like when I was a young programmer, I was like, you know, they came down from the mountain on tablet, C++, <laughs> you know, and you like, you, yeah. you think, you like these committees were like formed by geniuses, but really it's just people, um, they're choosing some semantics, and then of course they're making a programming language to the real world, and anything that has to touch the real world is a big mess. So, 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 so real programming languages are just big messes. And SICP was like kind of eye-opening for me because it was like, oh, with Scheme, you can do object-oriented programming, you can do functional, you can build, you can do logical programming, um, I mean, logic programming. And it just, it just yeah. showed me that with a very, a very tiny core, Lisp had all the sort of exp expressiveness that you needed to do whatever you wanted. And so that was very exciting to me. And um, mm. so I would say that's definitely what, what that, that closure had that part, had that part of Lisp that I liked, which was it's a yeah. fairly small core and it's very malleable. Um, but really what kept me going was just that, I mean, to be honest, um, closure ran on stuff and I could see myself using it, right? I was like, <laughs> the, the JVM's not going anywhere. And then yeah, with closure yeah. script, JavaScript's not going anywhere. So, I mean, I could, I could use a, a language with its own runtime, but uh, it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem practical if I want to do, if I want to use a, um, a fairly cutting-edge programming language, yet at the same time I want to get stuff done. I think Clojure is still totally owns that sweet spot. I haven't found anything um, else that, that is both interesting as a programming language and yet at the same time I can just do real work with it and um, use use very popular technologies without without really you know making a mess. I think actually, I mean, this is the point you made there about getting you know having getting started in five minutes. I think um, 
I, I, as I mentioned to you, um, you know, pre-show. <laughs> in, in, the green room. <laughs> in the green room. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, is that, you know, I, I've started to, to do some closure script as well myself recently. And I find it in, you know, honestly, a couple of years ago, it wasn't a five minute starting five yeah. minute thing to start out but really these days it pretty much is you know it really is you just download a few bits and pieces you follow the reframe readme or you follow some other readmes um and bam you're off you know and i've been using it in the browser i've also used it with node.js and the cli and it's been pretty sweet you know it's been really sweet um to to get started and to make make stuff happen pretty quickly so Kudos to to you and to the team that's made that happen. I think it's it's been really good. You know, we're we're definitely, you know, I think we like you say you started there with closure. It was five minutes to get started, and I think we're in, on parity now, if not, you know, if not even easier in some ways with closure script because you don't have to install a JVM anymore. So I, I really think it's uh you know it's 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 at least there, uh, if not better. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I agree. It took it took a long time, um, and a lot of that has to do with. You know, I would say, I would definitely say when, when I mean, it's still, the, it's still the case that ClojureScript is mostly about reaching clients, and that's what most people are using it for. But I definitely think with the increasing interest in Node.js and the fact that we can bootstrap um, React Native, there's, you know, there's just all this stuff, like, you know, there's like, somebody who has a, there's a whole Bash, like, shell now in Clojure, using, which is yeah, Lumo, yeah. I mean, yeah. People yeah. are people are going like it's. I, I knew this like when we did Bootstrap two years ago. I was like, this is this is going to be a thing which people are going to run with for a very long time. And yeah, 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 it's more it's more or less happened, right? This people are really mm -hmm. going doing. I mean, this is and if this is nothing. <laughs> I don't work on that stuff, right? This is just yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just community effort and 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 goodwill. It's 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 really amazing to see all the stuff that people are building, whether it's tooling frameworks or these really cool self-hosted things. Yeah. So before we get into uh, you know all the libraries that that you built, of course, you know, discussion about Ohm and uh, the uh, other things about ClojureScript. I was wondering, have you um, ever played with uh, different types of languages uh, other than Clojure? Because there has been a lot of discussion these days about uh, latest uh, Richie's talk um, about static and dynamic thing coming back again. This seems like a holy war that goes on for hour and hour, like VI and Emacs stuff. Um, <laughs> so, did did you play with any static languages, and what is your opinion on on how Clojure sees the world compared to Haskell, for example? I mean, the only languages. I mean, I would say let's we have, we have to like differentiate between like languages I've used in anger, which means I I was angry at some point and I had to ship something, <laughs> yeah. right? That's yeah. like that's like you know, there's like it's like it's so true. I mean, they're the languages that people hate and the languages that people use, right? That's that's that that that's just a true. That's like a truism, right? Um, yeah. But the only languages I use that had types that I actually had to use for work were things like um, Java or Objective C or C plus um, plus. So those those are all like the sort of like nominal typing. You have to give it a name, and the names have to match. Um, there's some you know annoying rules around inheritance and all this stuff, but. Um, and then, of course, then you know, Java has generics, which is like uh, 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 generics actually came from type functional programming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I've never had to use type functional programming languages in Anger. Whether you know, I've, I've dabbled in Haskell, Standard ML, OCaml. I've played around with them. They're neat, mm -hmm. 
Um, but at the same time, I mean, for me, those standard ML, OCaml, and Haskell are like non-starters because again, I'm not, I'm not, I, 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 most of the stuff that I do is on the JVM or I want to use JVM based technology. So I don't, there's no reason for me to use that stuff. Um, yeah. the only other option would be something like Scala. Um, but Scala is, you know, and I think Scala is impressive and they've done an amazing work around that. It's very, it's very cool, but I'm happy with closure. I don't, I don't, I've never felt, um, uh, uh, the need for, um, I mean, to me, like static typing is never a thing that I'm clamoring for. Uh, my experience mm. so far in software development, um, and everybody's experience differs. I mean, it just, it really depends on, that's the thing is people want to blame, people want to blame, blame programming languages. They never want, they never want to blame themselves, right? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. a good that's craftsman politic, always politic all over again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Software engineers never want to blame themselves or they don't want to blame, you know, the management or the, just like all, all the things that actually make software projects fail, um, which I guarantee you it's not usually the programming language. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's whether there's a, a good testing methodology, whether you know they've th you've thought about failure modes and continuous integration, and and when it comes to UI stuff, where I've seen tons of messes in every friggin' programming language, there doesn't there does mm. there does not exist a programming language that you cannot that where you cannot make a mess when you do UI work. UI UIs yeah. are inherent inherently like um, they involve a lot of incidental complexity because generally for any any non-trivial UI. Um, you just need to at least be able to be able to modest model sort of complicated states. And my experience mm -hmm. is that the biggest messes in a code base are just, it's just bad designs and it doesn't, mm -hmm. no amount of compile time checking is going to fix your horrible design, right? Uh, you mm -hmm. can, you can make a mess even with all your compile time checks. Um, yeah. And I don't really, I mean, there are a lot of people that, well, are like encode more stuff, more stuff. And I'm just like, it, it, it doesn't seem, A, A, it's, I've never, it's never, as, as far as I can tell, I've seen no evidence that this actually works at scale um, yeah. for, for UI work, which is, again, that's where most of my focus has been. And that's where I've seen things get really hairy. I've never seen any evidence that that stuff matters for that type of work. Um, and then I'm not convinced that like, I mean, to me, like, Often when I see people do lots of crazy type stuff, I'm like, it just feels like over and over engineering in, in, in Java. When you're in a when you're in a, in a Java type base with checked exceptions and you know rampant use of generics, and you're like, this sucks. Well, it's, yeah, it's yeah. the same thing. It's an it's just an over engineered mess. Um, mm. So uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I I was going to say the uh... <laughs> I, I, all I'm saying is it's just my experience, and I've never yeah. had a convincing yeah. experience with this stuff. I think the people on the UI side that are, are, are probably the the best arguers for types, and it's the only only really proper people I've seen arguing for types on the UI side are the people who are doing game programs who want to have um, the compiler to do lots and lots of optimizations for them to get the best possible raw performance from the hardware. And yeah, so those, but those game guys really want to exploit the like low level C and C well, even C actually in assembler sometimes, which is not typed obviously, but yeah. It's true. But I mean, you know, there you're talking about something which is a, like, you know, it's, it's this other thing that people like types for, which is, um, having accident, 
having access to primitives, whether that's numerical primitives or, you know, some sort of machine representation. Um, certainly with like languages like um, um, Haskell, you know, if you have the type of information, mm. you can eliminate boxing and all this stuff. So I, I think that's a compelling argument. You know, if, 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 if just like getting every last inch of performance, um, that might be a case for it. But the truth is, is that, uh, you know, God, like there's all these best-selling games on, on iOS and they write that stuff in, uni in Unity, right? Unity. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's yeah. like, it's like, um, and Unity is running on this crappy version of a C-sharp compiler without all those fancy optimizations that Microsoft has done mm. in the past six or seven years or whatever it is. And people mm. write perfectly fun games. So, sure, so, sure. so, yeah, so yeah. even then it's like, what, what problem are you solving and does that problem actually benefit from this programming language choice yeah. that you're making. Actually, the, the, it's like, the, the, it's the, gone, sorry, Fiji. Yeah. I think it's the perspective, right? Because I, I remember th this argument can be taken from, from both sides because uh, it's like, okay, um, probably this is attributed to Steve Jobs or some other internet folklore. Um, it's like, if it is beautiful outside, is it beautiful inside? You know, that, that, that's the question. So of course I can make an amazing uh, application, but inside does it conform to my sense of beauty or my sense of what 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 uh, a good program should look like so for me it feels like if if you are if you are coming from this mathematical background that you know that the, the the world is like properly structured in a in a way and then i'm going to represent it in in much more mathematical sense then then you you lean towards going to the the statically typed languages or, or these kind of things but of course then then again you 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 need to do a lot of um I don't know workarounds to represent the real world, because this is something that 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 uh, when I was in, uh, in in school they they explained there are only nine types of species or nine types that you divide, and then suddenly there is a one exception and two exceptions and three exceptions and then you know the real world doesn't conform to your your classification anymore and then you need to invent new ways of representing it. So I was thinking the, it 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 all depends on individual perspective. You know some people see beauty in Lisp, some people see beauty in dynamism. And some people see, you know, it conforms to your your perspective. Uh, absolutely, um, I definitely think that's true. I mean, um, I definitely think subjectivity plays into it. But at the same time, there's also something to be said where I also think that programmers are programmers are often blind to what causes issues in software. Um, mm. I recently spoke um, at ReactiveConf, and I revisited that paper. Uh, by Ben Mosley and um, Peter Marks called Out of the Tar Pit. And that was written mm -hmm. in 2006. And, you know, he, he really points out that state, state, like unmanaged state, they point out, unmanaged state really just makes everything more complicated. And yeah. then, um, and a great case in point where people are like, there's no, there's no proof that React is better, but why did React take off? And people could say it's just marketing, but that's like bullshit. The reason, the reason yeah. React took off was because React is much more disciplined about state, right? So even though there's a learning curve, there's a learning curve, you know, tens of thousands, if at this point not hundreds of thousands of JavaScript devs have yeah. learned. They were using jQuery, and then they used yeah. React, and they spent a week on it, and they realized, oh, if I do less stateful stuff, it's easier to understand what my program is doing. So that's just, yeah. so even though, People had to experience it in order to, and to determine that. And like, I could never say, like, if I said this 
four years ago. It's easier if you manage your state. Everybody would say, yeah. that's not true. <laughs> that's and true. now they use React and they're Everyone. like, and now, now they use React and they're like, oh, it is true. Yeah. Right. But there's no, there's no proof, right? There's no proof. There's no mathematical proof, right? Because the world is messy and it's mm. only through experience that you realize how do we manage the messiness of the real world? And that often doesn't bottom out in anything that I can prove to anybody. Well, I think it's interesting, isn't it, the way that, like, I mean, jQuery didn't evolve because it was inherently a beautiful thing. It, it only became popular because the concept of browser DOMs was annoying. You know, I mean, basically, it was a kind of a way to neutralize the, the browser wars from a JavaScript perspective. You know, it was a well, way so of, of doing CSS-type queries. That's, but that's only partially true. Um, so, like, if you actually understood jQuery, what did jQuery try to do? So jQuery did two things. One thing it did was um, tried to paper over all the, the, the incidental complexity of the differences, the arbitrary difference between browsers. That was, that was just what it initially did. But in, its, in later... What it did was it allowed you to do less stateful things. It used to be, before you used jQuery, that if you wanted to have an event handler, you'd have to attach the event handler on every event, on every single thing that you, that's clickable. Yeah. And later they had this version of event delegation because the problem is an event listener is stateful. You have to attach it and then you have to remove it. And then if you blow away the DOM and you forgot, then you have, you have a leak, right? So there's, but, all, yeah. this, there's, all, this, there's all this stateful stuff that yeah, but the first version of jQuery did not use closure. It didn't use closures. It used it so it used a global <laughs> state actually. That you know, that's the weird thing about jQuery. But it, but what, it, it but was what, completely polluting the global state at the beginning. It was, but my point is that even though people used it and they talked about these words, yeah. what it was doing for them was it allowed them to add some state management that they didn't have before. But he, he actually discovered closures after Doug Crockford, I think, explained them to him or, or read the book because he, he, his first version didn't have that kind of encapsulation that the later versions had. So it was definitely an accident, uh, you know, that it became, it became popular through the DOM stuff. And then, yeah, you're right, he, he, definitely, he definitely cleaned his act up, but that was like on the back of his previous success, I think. But it doesn't matter. What the fuck? You know, <laughs> well, <laughs> who cares? The point is that it was very, it was basically about, you know, browser wars and then, like you say, managing state. But React was really, wasn't it about the comp Facebook saying, well, we've got these complex apps now. We have really complicated apps that was, that, that, not, that React I mean, needs not, not to really. be built for? No? Uh, not okay. really. So, so uh, React was created by one developer. One developer, it was this guy, Jordan Walk, he was working on a backbone app for one part of Facebook with, I think, maybe two other devs. Um, it was a typical MVC app where you had stateful models, views, and controls. And he was coming from a functional background. He has a background in um, OCaml. And he was, mm -hmm. I'm going to do this crazy idea where I do a virtual DOM thing, and I'm going to functionally update the DOM and create a functional API. Um, and uh, React was actually, in its initial first year, um, not used at all at Facebook. Almost everybody at Facebook was like, that's just a weird thing. Let's open source it. Let's see what other people think. So React was not popular internally. Um, React, even React Native, mm -hmm. when it came out, was very controversial. Um, so this belief that Facebook had a unified front around React 
It's just not true. But they sell it themselves, actually. They, they, at their own conferences, they say React.js was, was actually a kind of spin-off from our general React concept. They, they, they say that at their conferences. I mean, maybe they they're bullshitting. This, I, could, I can definitely believe they, that they they're They say this, but it's know. just not true. I'm, I mean, I know the people that developed it. It was one developer, yeah. um, and they, yeah. struggled, they struggled to get, to get uptake within the company. Yeah, well, we need him before the Senate next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay, so that's fine. But, I mean, but it definitely was there to try and solve this problem of more complicated applications, wasn't it? It was, you know, it was to try and wrangle that state, like you say. Yeah. yeah. I think not necessarily because I think React actually has issues in more complicated applications. You need other abstractions. I mean, that's why, that's why people like sure. Reframe because Reframe gives you more tools than React does out of the box. Um, but what React does is it solves one particular problem. It eliminates the, yeah. the stateful DOM. You, semantically, mm. you no longer have to think of the DOM as being stateful. And that is a massive simplification. You can just use it declaratively, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. Um, let's, let's. I think we we are we are talking about React, which is a nice segue to get into this. Um, uh, you know, closure script, uh, essentially uh, using React. Because uh, apart from Hoplon, uh, I don't think there are many other closure script driven things. So there was some discussion about how to use jQuery stuff at some point, but I think more or less um, um, at large the community has, um, I don't know, owned or, or adopted React to be our back end so to speak for the front end or middle end or whatever yeah so yeah. Uh, uh what do you think of this, this this trend because i remember uh you started this um the your blog post about um, you know react that was the initial the first look into this this thing from closure script as well and then that that uh, uh snowballed into uh, i think sort of like 20 or 30 react plugins or react frameworks using closure script so what is your opinion on these things and and where, where where did you see Ohm, and then where do you see Ohm in the future in this in this landscape? I I mean yeah, initially I was just I it was just that React presents a functional API. So one thing that was missing mm. for ClojureScript was that none of the UI things were very very functional. Uh, jQuery is not functional. Backbone is not functional. Ember is not mm -hmm. functional. Angular is not functional. Google Closure Library is not functional. None of these things were functional. React was the yeah. very first framework that was written for JavaScript people. That we could adopt it, and it could be, and our, mm. the integration could be very clean. Anybody that's mm. used Reagents is you're like it's like mind blowing, right? It's like I can write functions, yeah. and functions make the UI, right? And it's like you're, yeah. really, it's just like it's this beautiful world. I'm just writing plain old functions, <laughs> and mm. I get to see yeah. stuff in the yeah. I get to see stuff in the browser. All the stuff that you don't want to know about, you don't have to know about. So it's mm. to me, it's 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 no wonder that it just blew up. It, it like I mean, within four months, everybody in ClojureScript was using React. We were adopting React before JavaScript was adopting React. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because <laughs> That's for, true. Because for us, it was just so obvious. It was just the right yeah. way if you were if you're coming from a functional standpoint. So uh, mm -hmm. you know, I'm glad that I'm glad that it was obvious to the Closure community. I'm happy to see so many different versions. I mean, um, to be honest, I don't really care about these. You know, like there's a bazillion of these integrations around react and i think it's great people want to do do it however they want as long as you're doing it that way it's going to be better than whatever you were doing before um i did ohm and ohm was of course an experiment you know in the sense like i didn't know exactly how it was supposed to work um there was an initial version which had this cursor thing which actually that idea was adopted in javascript you have you know people yeah. use redux with cursors and all this stuff 
And then I did Ohm Next, which was uh, kind of a reaction to um, GraphQL, Relay, and Falcor, and these other JavaScript yeah. things, and then trying to think a bit about um, full stack dev where there's a tighter integration between the front end and, say, a database like Datomic, which is like a functional database. Yeah. Um, yeah. But people are using, people use Ohm Next. Um, I actually don't have that much time to work on it, but fortunately there's mm -hmm. been some good devs. There's also been Tony K, which I believe was also on this show, and he's been last, working on the last episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's been working on Full Crow, which is really cool, which is like very much like a, in some sense, a, a much friendlier, cleaned up version of Omnex. Uh, and he's doing great stuff, and I think he has some new stuff that he might probably is going be doing, and you'll probably hear about that. Mm -hmm. But uh, to be honest, I mean, when I made Omnex, like it's great. People, I'm happy that people use it. I'm happy that people are having fun with it. But more, to me, more important than using it is understanding why you might want to design uh, mm, yeah. a, a system in this way. And for example, I've done worked on several client projects where, for various reasons, we didn't use Omnext, but we just mm. adopted an Omnext architecture, right? We, we did the exact same thing. We had um, Datomic in the back end, we had queries in the front end, and um, it made for a radically simpler code base. I mean, um, you know, the entire logic for talking in the back end in that system was like maybe it was 200 lines of code and we just had a bunch yeah. of we just had a bunch of declarative queries where we would do datomic pull on whatever data that we needed uh and it was great i mean it was one of the cleanest front-end things i ever worked on in my life nice and, and where, where, where is Omnext going then? I mean, where are you taking it to? So there's nothing, I mean, people have asked that question. There's nothing, I have no new features um, in, in mind. Um, there are some things about dynamic queries, which people are talking about, which maybe we'll think about that, but I'm unlikely to tackle that anytime soon. Um, maybe mm. in the near future, maybe some spec integration. Um, now that spec is starting to, it seems, um, Probably in the next six months, at least the current version is going to probably settle down. So, hmm. but, but excuse me, that, that's all I have in mind. I, I mean, I'm not. Okay. I mean, my my experience was that Omnex does plenty. <laughs> it does. It does plenty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know that it needs to do more than what it than what it currently does. But do you think this um, ideas that Omnex has right now? Um, with the GraphQL and the, with the way the UI is is being built, um, is it um, what is the what is the longevity of this one? I mean, because I'm interested in where are you looking at? Because that that's what that's what I, I really liked when when you started Ohm. That was a completely different view on how to build the UIs. Um, obviously, you know, you give talks about it, standing on the shoulder, you know, Jane's uh, shoulders, etc. But still, you know, because you have the visibility into the into the future, you're you're, you're able to see this is how it should be. So do you see any other experimental ideas that, that are going to come up in this direction? I don't, but I'm also like, I'm very, I also think, um, I think it's going to probably take three or four years to people, for people to even to switch over to what I'm talking about. Um, I, yeah. I do, I do go to JavaScript conferences and you see GraphQL is slowly but surely um, taking hold. Um, yeah. I think it's really, I mean, I think this is already pretty radical. And, and it's, mm. it's a radical enough of a change and it's, in some sense, it's a bit invasive because it requires buy-in from backend developers to change their thinking, right? It's, yeah. it's, this, is not a, this is not a simple change. It's kind of like a holistic decision. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that it's at least a few years. Um, mm. But I'm also convinced that it's basically the future. 
I think people that want to build simpler systems are going to basically be building uh, GraphQL-like systems. But isn't it something like, uh, as you said, um, if you want to switch to GraphQL-based systems, then obviously you need to have the buy-in from the whole system. Um, but the, the, isn't that the idea fundamentally REST was trying to stay away from? Like, you know, you have this separation and then we have this API and then you let any kind of client talk to us. Uh, so how, how does it differ in, in terms of that kind of architecture? I mean, it, 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 it doesn't, I mean, like, I mean, REST to me is like, it, I, I, number one, I don't think REST is very important. And I definitely think mm. that it's current, the way people design current APIs is just broken with respect to clients. Um, there's not much good about it. Um, and, and really, this is not just my opinion. This is the opinion of companies like Facebook and um, Netflix. There's all these people that are, yeah. that are adopting um, this more flexible client-driven design because it removes, mm. it removes complexity. It removes from complexity from both the front and the back end um, because mm. clients can request whatever they actually need. And yeah. then you don't really care about, um, you don't need this, all this time spent on a, well, pointless API design. Yeah, yeah. So you think it's a bit more like uh, like a type system versus a, a dynamic system in that respect that you because there, there are some fundamentals in a graph. Obviously, you have to know what the the edges are. You have to know what the relationships are. So there is some design going on there, isn't there? But you have to know this anyway. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I mean, absolutely. That, like whenever yeah. you say that, you're like, well, I have to know what the what what the REST response returns. I have to know what fields are there. I have to know what um, sub entities are there. You are you already have to know that stuff. It's just that now I can friggin' describe it. <laughs> I don't I don't have to just eat whatever you give me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can limit it. That's the nice thing. I mean, yeah, you know. And so 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 I think people are sort of like they're not being self-reflexive that we we're all it's already the case that um rest forces you to think about all these things but it's inflexible it's inflexible i think the uh i think was, there was another the thing that that came up like on top of rest was this like um like json api which allowed you to do um thinning of the objects and also to do yeah. um queries and so i think that the, the rest there was a compromise definitely in that sense to, around this JSON API. And I think Microsoft and Salesforce had this other thing. Um, uh, I'm blanking on it now. But it oh, was a kind of queryable que REST, as it were. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's, I can't there's, 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 there's been quite a few things since GraphQL where people have come up with REST-like designs that are like GraphQL. And to me, it's like, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter if it's GraphQL. It doesn't matter if it's Falcor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's augmented REST. It's all the same thing. I'm just, it's, it's, an, it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's an architectural design. We're not talking yeah. about the concrete technology. The point is, mm. is that clients need to be able to describe what they want. Who cares how you yes, accomplish yes, that? Yes, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. So what was the thing that you were talking about spec? What would, what would, how, I mean, apart from just like, just uh, saying the shape of the, the, the queries or the shape of the results, is there anything more deeper in spec that you, you're interested no, no. in exploring? Not really. It was, it was really no? just about okay. like, um, there's a nice feature in React where you have this thing called prop, props validation, where you can basically say the structure of the thing should look like this and you get validation. 
And my mm -hmm. and basically by adding specs, if you did something wrong, you would get a, a nice descriptive reason for why mm. um, the values that were passed into a component aren't correct. It's, it, it really was no, no more complicated than that. That that's that's plenty already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. So. Uh, I'm, I'm going to move to the community questions because we tweeted out, you know, ask David thing. And then there were a lot of people asking about WebAssembly, like, okay, what about WebAssembly? And if someone built a GC for WebAssembly, could that be sufficient? Are there any other blockers? I mean, and what is the future? Well, number one, um, writing a GC in WebAssembly is like, um, I mean, first, somebody would have to demonstrate that you can compete with the GC in um, the existing yeah. JavaScript engines, which are at this point, they, they are state of the art, right? They're very yeah. state of the art. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm skeptical that you could, you could compete. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a performance hit there. Um, so that's really the big thing. It's like, I, I, mm -hmm. until somebody demonstrates otherwise, I don't think you can achieve um, the performance that's necessary. Um, you have to also yeah. remember that the GCs in browsers, they, they interact non-trivially with the browser itself, right? Because generally there's some form of garbage collection for the DOM, and that's different from the one for the JavaScript engine. And the way these two things interact is non-trivial. Um, yeah. And whatever decisions you make, they all affect latency. Uh, so mm. I don't really see that going anywhere. Um, that said, um, we, we'll see. I mean, there recently, what was more exciting to me than WebAssembly, uh, to be honest, was a proposal by the WebKit team to add um, shared memory concurrency um, to JavaScript mm -hmm. Core. And um, I'm more excited about that because we already have written functional data structures um, that would work well for us, and we could then deliver um, all of Clojure's concurrency primitives in the browser. That to me is way more yeah. interesting than um, WASM at so least. So that means at bringing uh, just not just Atom but other things as well. Everything. I mean, yeah, the, yeah. The, the the basically, you know, uh, what WebKit's proposing it's like shared memory concurrency with locks and everything. Yeah. So yeah. we we could oh, just sweet. we we could just replicate all the other concurrency the stuff. Exactly. That's that's right. Okay. Nice. So I so I would say so, WASM. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Concurrency okay. stuff more interesting. Talking okay. of concurrency, so when is your next about, album coming um, out? <laughs> just before we go on to this album. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What, what about? I mean, because uh, some of the things that are interesting in terms of concurrency are these um, web workers uh, on the browser side. Um, is that something that that you've thought about in terms of how we could make that a bit easier to exploit? Uh, so web workers, they let you do a certain type of thing. So web workers are message passing only. You can't share data. They have this thing like this shared buffer thing, but it's really not that ideal, especially for ClojureScript. Mm. Um, and then from a development perspective, it's really an, a bit annoying because um, you, have to, you have to build your project for such a way so that you can reuse your code in the web worker and in the main page. Um, so it's not, I would say it's not the most ideal um, uh, thing. I mean, for some things it works, but it, it is not, um, for lots of things that you'd want to do, <laughs> closure style <laughs> concurrency 
it doesn't solve that problem. <laughs> right. Okay. So core async is just a better answer in general <laughs> at the moment, at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, for, for absolutely. If all you want is just, you know, you want to be able to break up your work into asynchronous tasks, core async is great. Hmm. Sorry, so there is, um, there, uh, no, it's okay. And then we, we still have plenty of questions, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so somebody was, uh, Q1, I think. Uh, so he was asking, if you couldn't write Clojure script, what would you use? If I, if I couldn't write Clojure script, I mean, I, 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 most of couldn't the... Couldn't use. Yeah, most of the things that are out there, um, I mean, I follow the compiled to JavaScript languages quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I think... Elm is really cool. Um, I think um, uh, Reason looks like it's like like it's getting some interest. Reason, which is the Facebook um, OCaml yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, you've got um, Scala.js, which is coming along quite well. It's actually Scala.js is particularly impressive because it really mm -hmm. it really feels like you have all of Scala, um, but you, you yeah. get to do browser dev, and they've, it's mm -hmm. it's come a long way. It's very impressive. Yeah. Um, but as far as what I would use, I, I mean, it's really, I, <laughs> I love ClojureScript. I've been working on ClojureScript for six years. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think you can I, say that's why I built ClojureScript. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. What, what would I use? I, it's really, I spent six years on this, so, so I don't have to use anything else. <laughs> I mean, <what> <laughs> yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> if someone took away ClojureScript, you would just write it. That's probably the best answer. You know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I would have ended up writing ClojureScript anyway. So, isn't it like this old story about that? You know, like every every complicated language end up just writing an inferior version of Lisp. You know, so yeah. just write a proper one <laughs> instead. You know, that's yeah. the, that's the answer. So, um, let's see. Uh, what what are your views on TDD? I don't do TDD. I mean, I just I've never done TDD. I mean, you know, um, I don't really think that it's that important. Um, but I do like writing tests. And generally, when I'm writing code, I'm writing tests. Uh, but I don't mm -hmm. necessarily start with tests. I don't think that's a good way to start. I generally start with thinking about what I'm doing. Um, and then I write some code. And the REPL actually helps a lot with like skipping trivial things um, that you would often write a test for if you're doing TDD. I, I think REPL-driven development really um, changes your approach. At the same time, testing is super important. I mean, I just I, I write tests. I just don't use that to drive dev. I think I was asking about your album. When is your next album coming out? Hopefully soon. I've been working on it for so long, like two <laughs> years. I don't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hopefully soon. But so it, it takes, which it takes, one these do you things think, take forever. Which one do you think is easier? I mean, producing software or producing music? Uh, I don't. I think they they both take a lot of time, hmm. far far yeah. more time than than you think would think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. So, um, some um, there was another question about uh, what uh, I don't know if you have seen this already. Uh, what is your thought about Shadow CLJS? Shadow um, CLJS, yeah, yeah. So that's the yeah. alternate build tool. It's quite cool. Um, yeah. It's not. I mean, we don't contribute to it. Shadow CLJS just uses reuses the compiler part and it has a lot of custom stuff and it has um, an interesting integration for Node.js. If you're really excited about integrating with Webpack and you don't want to use mm. um, JVM yeah. stuff, um, which, I, which I, would, I would argue it's it's not most people, so that's why I don't think that many people use Shadow. Um, a yeah. lot of people are, are happy just sticking with 
um, the closure and JVM build stuff. Um, but if you have a different set of goals and a different set of interests, then Shadow Seal just is quite cool. I, I'm okay. I'm happy to see that there are, there are alternate build tools. So do you see at some point closure and closure script? Uh, of course, there is this parity because of the um, uh, concurrency stuff uh, not being available on JavaScript uh, or a disparity. Um, but um, do, do you see that they're going to be united at some point or do you think that you know ClojureScript will take its own path and then, uh, I don't know, become its own language? Uh, no. I mean, we, mm -hmm. don't, we don't add stuff. I mean, there's a f only there's like a handful of things in ClojureScript that are different um, because... Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple things you can do in JavaScript that we can't do on the JVM. And then mm -hmm. there's like obvious stuff like, you know, uh, hosty stuff, which you are never going to reconcile and we don't care about reconciling, yeah. uh, things yeah. like numerics, things about things like yeah. JavaScript prototypes versus Java classes, all that stuff. You can't, it's, mm -hmm. it's never going to change. So no, I don't, I mean, we, ClojureScript stays in sync with Clojure, right? So this is why we have the yeah. same version scheme. And when we do our announcements, we, we announce what we've ported, um, what things we fixed that were different. Um, I, would, I, would, I would say uh, what we've done so far is probably how it's going to be, I mean, for yeah. many, many years, which is that it, yeah. we can't fix everything, but it, we can make it close enough that people are happy. Yeah. Well, one, one quick question for you there, David, is something that struck me a little bit um, because I've been doing a bit of um, closure and closure script uh, full stack, you know. <laughs> and uh, the uh, one of the things that struck me is a little bit with the with the namespaces was you have to do these refer macro things. Uh, is that it seems a bit awkward to have to do that? Is that something which is potentially clean upable, or is that an intrinsic uh, problem? It's intrinsic because um, if you're not bootstrapped, then there's no compiler at runtime. So in Clojure, right, right. the Clojure, when you, I mean, the reason you can, the reason you can, the reason you can start up a Clojure box on AWS and then, you know, make an SSH tunnel into it and then eval code is because right. that box is running the Clojure compiler. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but right, right. but we don't we don't ship the compiler to web browsers, right? So that means right. macros macros run at compile time, um, and they they can't they can't exist at any other time. Um, so that's why you have this distinction for macros have to be um, handled diff specially because we d you're you're never going to have the compiler at runtime. That's um, and in technically in Bootstrap you could fix this, but the way that we did Bootstrap, I intentionally discourage it by the way that Bootstrap works so that when people write Bootstrap stuff, people are encouraged to write portable stuff, right? Mm -hmm. We don't want a, a forked ecosystem, right? right, right yeah. We yeah. want people to write code that works on the JVM and that works on JavaScript-hosted things. We don't want mm -hmm. there to be people to be relying on features that don't work everywhere, right? That's, that's, mm -hmm. that, nobody wants that. <laughs> like you yeah, don't want yeah. that. So like you lose some convenience for macros, but the beauty is that you decide, oh, my client now wants to do a Node.js only thing. You can, you can use yeah. all that code that you were using before um, and right. it's not right. going to be a problem. It's not going to be a problem. Yeah. No, it's just, it was just this, uh, like the only reason I noticed it mostly because of core sync actually is you have to refer 
certain parts of Core Air Sync as macros uh, yeah. and certain parts of Core Air Sync as uh, an space. There's a ticket and a fix for that problem, actually, okay. that specific problem. All right, right. Somebody needs to like just look at it, test it, and then merge it in. So there's a, there's a fix for one, that issue. All right, okay. <laughs> right, back to the other, other questions and VJ. Yes. I've, got, I've got my answers. Uh, <laughs> so that, that was your, your, your consulting hour. You yes, just that's right. Yeah. Your, <laughs> you keep saying, I just started Closure Script, so maybe it's better to have David as a, as a guest so I can just ask all the questions. Yeah. Like that, that's the best way to get, uh, you know, get, get your project kickstarted. Yeah. Mm. I think David is going to send us an invoice. <laughs> 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 for consulting work, but um, anyway, uh, I think that uh, those are pretty much the questions that that we got uh, from from people and also uh, from us as well. Um, is there anything that 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 you would like to? Uh, oh, you you're going to be on uh, um, uh, at at a conference, right? Which one? Uh, Code, the next one. Code Mesh. Code Mesh. Okay. Yeah. On where is it? It's leaving on tomorrow. Okay. Where, where is it? In London. Oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And also, I, I see that um, Eric was also organizing uh, a closure meetup, not meetup, but a conference. Uh, conference right? in uh, New Orleans, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, he, he was on the show and then we were discussing and then he was trying to, he, he explained the idea behind it and it was, it was pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. I'm so, excited. I've, I've never yeah. been to New Orleans, so I'm, I'm looking oh. forward to it. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, I think that's pretty much it from us. Um, Ray, do you yeah, have I guess the question, David, is there anything you wanted to to discuss or share, or any anything else that you wanted to we missed out on? Or can't I can't think of anything. Um, I think we we covered a lot of the other questions. I mean, no, I think I think I'm, it's very exciting um, what's happening in Closure Script. I mean, I would say that like if you told me that there'd be this much stuff happening around it, or It'd be used in so many different ways. I wouldn't have believed you. So it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty exciting. And um, you know, I think there's a there's a lot more work to do. Um, so even though there might not be like um, there might there's not there's probably not going to be any big new features to announce. But I I definitely think the next um, year and or two is just going to be about making it easier to use, faster. Um, you know, fix go and fix. There's still lots of bugs we want to fix. So just Bringing, bringing the quality of the thing um, yeah. much, much um, pushing it up. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's a great ecosystem around ClojureScript now. I mean, you know, all the fig wheel stuff and the reframe stuff and like you say, all those, those other um, component frameworks around uh, DataScript. Uh, there's, there's so much really great stuff happening out there that, that knocks the socks off anything that is in an equivalent ecosystem on the UI, that's for sure. You know, I'm, no, I'm really uh, personally excited to be involved in it, you know, even as a consumer. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's, to me, the most exciting, like, I mean, I'm using it right now at work and, yeah. you know, having, seeing, clo yeah. seeing closure code in my browser and, like, yeah, just yeah. using closure in the browser like this is this is amazing i mean i've been using it you know for years and i still i still i'm still as enthusiastic about it as when i started so perfect so Fantastic. um i think that's that's uh, pretty much it so maybe we can uh, wrap up okay. um thanks a lot uh, david for taking the time and um of course uh, you know uh, all, all the all the hard work that that you put in and, and releasing it for open source and contributing your your time and hours and and speaking at the conferences and the way that that you are sharing your ideas 
it is very inspiring and i'd like to personally thank you for all the om stuff and as well these are like i mean sometimes it's it goes a lot you know above my head but still it takes some time to sink you know as you said it took some time for people to understand about the state and this these kind of things so um we are really really happy to have you on the show absolutely um yeah and uh, and 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 thanks for helping out uh, ray so he can do his job now <laughs> you know he, he keeps bragging about i'm a full stack logic developer and now he can just uh, tell people that hey i've been trained by david now <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> i can cite you <laughs> just live up to his his level so <laughs> need to um well, i've got so, three pages of an application a small cli application working so you know <laughs> not exactly nice. a guru yet but you know <laughs> Once once you finish another to do we are done. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's that's the standard of uh, No, things. but it, it, honestly David, I mean, you know, uh it's been a long time me getting into this stuff um but now I, I really feel it and it just it just is so exciting to be using closure on the front end and on the node side as well. I've done both things in JavaScript uh, in the past uh in other environments and you know this new job is I've got more control over the technology myself so I'm I'm choosing to use these um these more leading edge technologies that we have at our hands and uh everyone's loving it you know everyone I speak to about it at work they're all thinking get very excited because you know it's just so the, clean you know I mean, so Google pure. Hangouts yeah. used to have these plugins to put the hello or something on, on people's heads and this, this is the moment and david should click that button and there's like yeah. hello and then <laughs> yeah i mean i mean that's but that's actually i mean maybe before you wrap up i mean that's really i mean i think that's the real awesome thing about closure is that you know closure is really closure script and you know the ecosystem that's been built by the community i mean it's really in a, it's really now i would say it's an amazing ecosystem i mean you can really sit down and say i want to build a whole system. I want to do back end mm. stuff, I want to do front end stuff. Uh and there's just a lot of amazing tools to get the job done. It's I mean it's it's I mean it's yeah, my I my mind is blown. I mean, it's cool that we that we're building the the programming language stuff, but the fact that the community has made it extremely mm. practical and fun, like not just yeah, practical, yeah. right? It's yeah, productive, yeah. but it's also really fun. Yeah. And yeah. um yeah, it's it's been great to see the community really, you know, fully realize the dream so yeah brilliant let's leave it on that superb yeah yes <laughs> thanks That's very much for uh, for this episode and uh, we we plan to produce uh, of course uh, more episodes uh, in in the pipeline we have two more guests lined up in the next uh, couple of weeks um we'll announce it uh, very shortly on twitter who we're going to have on the on the show uh, i think we will continue on the closure script theme with the next uh guest so you need to wait uh, follow us on twitter to know who is that going to be um and thanks again david for joining us and uh, right before we uh close this episode we'd like to share something um about uh um some some new initiative that that we are taking uh we started uh did we start it already or did we we created an account on patreon it's there that's, yeah that's, we've started it that's pretty much what we've done yet, so far <laughs> yeah Uh we haven't done much about it yet uh, but the idea is to um uh put put the word out there and uh, if you like the show uh, you might want to support us uh to uh, th- there are some some uh non significant costs associated with this one because we don't want to go for the sponsorships or anything uh so we'd love to have uh, your uh, uh your opinion about it uh and we haven't decided what kind of perks that you're going to get if you have Patreon <laughs> 
um obviously maybe we'll 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 release a flak audio or something so you can hear us in much more piercing quality in your ears <laughs> but uh, probably that's not something that you're looking out for uh so we'll we'll put the links in the in the um, in the show description and we'll also tweet about it um so it would be great to have um, some interaction with the people who are listening to this thing and what you what you want to uh, what you want us to uh, focus on in the future um that's it from us and ray any closing words uh well just just to say again thank you to david and um i think it's uh you know it's really great to to have this opportunity you know i think we're very honored to to have you on the show and to to let you loose and talk about these great things because uh yeah it's a fantastic community i'm benefiting from it vjs and i think all yep. listeners are as well and i think it's uh yeah it's just a pure pleasure to to talk to you as well you know uh let's be honest you know You're a great guy. So, <laughs> well, thanks thanks again for having me. This was it was a lot of fun. Awesome stuff. Thank you very much. Bye.